Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. I think we're in for a delightful episode. The topic tonight is Hillary Ramo Show Transcripts, and our guest is Hillary Ramo. We're going to bring Hillary on in just a minute, um, but I wanted to just touch on um, what this show is about. The Hillary Ramo Show Transcripts is, I think, her latest book. Um, and boy, does she delve into the kind of the mechanics of what's going on. She uh, the the book is a great read. It it uh, it's transcripts from radio shows that she hosted, and and yet woven into that, not only is there a look at perhaps what one might call the shadow side of things, but there's there's also a, a progression of consciousness as you go through the book that really brings it into a much more um, holistic perspective. Hillary is a leading voice in um, the radio show industry. She's been heard on Achieve Radio as the host of the Hillary Ramo Show for over a decade. She brings powerful information to listeners Without their gratuitous showmanship and partisan censorship too often found in mainstream media, her topics have included alternative health, ancient history, UFO research, whistleblowers on a variety of topics, energy, cryptocurrency, and more. This book is a compilation of conversations with some of the most intriguing guests on the planet on a variety of subjects relevant to the world that we are in today. She asks questions that engage her guests in mind-bending, synergetic conversations that will entertain, engage, and educate readers to such extraordinary heights. She has a background in business and healing arts. She brings a unique mixture of spiritual and intuitive insight on such a variety of topics, and our guests are always excited to return and share conversation space with her. Now the world can read many of the life-altering stories she has so illicitly conveyed from the minds of those whose voices we need to hear. Join me in welcoming Hillary to the show. Hillary, it's such a delight to have you on the show. Welcome. Hi, Les. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, when I think of where to start in this conversation, the the book itself has such a a broad swath of of topics. Um, Let's just take a step back and and can you share with us um, how you chose these particular episodes to put together and form a book? Sure. In fact, I looked around the world today and I then looked at my content from over the last 13 years and I said to myself, wow, which conversations would people want to read right now? And there was a lot to choose from, actually, once I finally figured out and narrowed it down. Um, We have data privacy issues. We have lots of emotional and spiritual stuff going on on the planet. We have politics. We have healing. We have all these different kinds of things, and the headlines sometimes are more specific than others. So when I went through the content that I had put together, as as you said so elegantly in your introduction, was such a wide variety of topics. I had lot to, a lot to choose from. So when I chose these specific 20 conversations to put into the book, I chose the order in which they went in uh, very deliberately because it is a progression of very important and sometimes heavy information. But then there's also other chapters woven in there that offer uh, a healing perspective or a lighter perspective. And the last chapter in the book is on kindness. 
So you start off with talking about the the constitution of reality with David Icke, and you move into time the realities of time travel technology with Dr. David Lewis Anderson, and then you move into the contact UFO experience with Dr. Stephen Greer, and then you go into so many other different aspects of the world. We have I have Jim Mars in there who talks about Fukushima, Libya, and, and the treasures being stolen from museums around the world and why. Um, I have John Perkins in there, who was a whistleblower who came out of corporate America to admit that, uh, you know, we as a country go into third world countries and we act as economic hitmen and we try to sell them big infrastructure packages so that they become indebted to the United States. And when they can't pay their bills, we go in and build military bases. So there's a whole lot of information in this book. Uh, you know, there's well over 300 pages of good stuff in here. And when I put this together, I said, wow, there's so much more power in here reading the transcripts versus listening to the radio shows. And that element of the book surprised me a lot, but I appreciated it. And so did reader feedback early on when they said, you know, reading is not like listening to radio. Well, obviously, but when you write it in transcript <laughs> form, it's written in conversation style. So you are still getting some of the element of radio, which offers that connection between host and guest, but you're also getting the opportunity to pause and digest and pause and digest. And I think this information needs to be digest in whatever way, shape or form a reader feels called to do. So my hope with this book is that everyone finds some kind of hindsight value to the relevancy of current day events and what they're experiencing around themselves right now, especially because I have to say since 2012, our big ascension year, everybody was going down through the great white temple of light and, and ascending and, and being, you know, healed and all having all these beautiful experiences. But since then, we've been kind of in a new gray area where we're not quite sure who we are yet and we're still trying to flap our wings and fly and some of us are really good at it and other people need help. So this book is written for people who need a little help navigating some of the harder material going on in the world today. And these 20 conversations were picked deliberately to do so. Well, you know, what I, what I like about it is um, the book talks about aspects of our, of our human demeanor that um, aren't really well known in, in mainstream humanity. I mean, you talk about the, how our government behaves with third world countries or, um, just some of the um, very prominent, very real aspects of what's going on in our human story. But for many people, this would be their first contact with it or perhaps their first in-depth delve in some of these topics. It, it, it really helps to kind of pull the veil away, if you will, and understand just... Uh, the, the depth of how some of these um, um, conditions or paradigms that are playing out are ingrained in in the culture we've we've been brought up to this moment in the past, because I think it helps the the listener um, kind of calibrate their their truth detector, because so often in in regular media. There'll be a layer of, of frosting on top of the information, or it won't even make it to the screen. Um, this kind of um, in-depth look, if you will, really helps us to understand the truth. How have you? What kind of feedback have you been getting from readers as far as the content of these um, transcripts? Sure. Well. Like you said, some people, this is the first introduction that they have to this information. And for other people, they're a little seasoned in it. So for the seasoned reader who's heard of many of these topics or perhaps listened to some of these shows with the people in this book, they'll be a little more familiar with the information. However, the feedback from people who are seasoned has been that even though they are seasoned, they still learned something new and they were also able to see things in a little bit of a different light, which is exactly was my intent in writing it. Um, for the person who has never been exposed to this information, 
it's a deep dive, but it's not deep enough where they're going to drown. So they're going to be pulled up with the positive chapters in the book, the cop, the transcripts of people who talk about, you know, healing and higher consciousness and kindness. And it's a, it's a very balanced book in that sense. And so for the first time reader going through this information, if you just go through it, you'll find that you're held through that with that energy. And so some of the tougher material becomes a little less tough because they're surrounded in such a, you know, a different light with some of the other, the other chapters. So I wrote it distinct, you know, I, I wrote it and put it together because I wanted it to be able to do that so that it could, it could be appealing to every level of informationalist who has made their way through some of this information or all of it. Well, very nice. Well, um, why don't we delve into some of the topics mentioned in the book and kind of get a glimpse of of what some of these topics are. For example, you talk about you talk to the head of the ACLU Council for Data, Data Privacy about LED lights and how they're being used to implement an infrastructure of spy technology. Infra, infrared lights. I mean, um, how how are they being used as a spy technology? Well, it, this has been probably my number one most asked question in doing all these radio shows to promote the book. Because coming from someone like Chad Marlowe, the head ACLU counsel on data privacy, I was quite shocked when he revealed this on the show too. So at the time this was happening, the show happened during the campaign, the presidential campaign. And this was actually part of a a political show that I was asked to host. So the transcript comes from that. And as he was describing these things, it was very quite shocking to me because I actually hadn't heard this before. This was actually new knowledge to me. Um, I hadn't heard anybody talk about the fact that LED lights were being used as a a spy surveillance type technology. So I was very interested in what he had to say. And of course, I'm not going to give it away too much because I'm trying to sell a book. So if people really want to read it, they need to go buy the book. Trust me, it's the best $24 you'll ever spend in your life. So I, I put his chapter in there because oh, my God, I want everybody to know what he said, right? So what he said, what he exposed on the show, was that LED lights were actually a form of surveillance technology that could could come pre-equipped or be equipped as spy technology. So I asked him to clarify that, and he said, he said right now pretty much every public space that uses LED light systems has the technology implemented into the light bulbs. It's an easy, energy-efficient way to spy on people and to not have people know they're being spied on. So, you know, one thing that they all politicians agree with is data privacy. You never hear them arguing about it because they all agree on it. So this, as this technology is going in, Chad Marlowe disclosed that this was something that was being sold as a product that would help, you know, lower your electric bill, help the world go green, the big um, global conspiracy of climate change and all the things that come with that, you know, were being used as a marketing tactic to get people to change out all their light bulbs and put LED light bulbs in it. Now, he he, he elaborated a little bit more, and I'm not going to go too far into it, but he described how those private home spaces can be used and, you know, people can be spied on in their own homes using the technology. So it's a very disturbing chapter. And once you read it and you go search on Google for whatever else you need to know about it, um, or maybe even call the ACLU up and say, hey, what's this? Because they have petitions to help, you know, protect people's rights. But nobody's talking about it. It's not like you turn on your computer and that's the first headline you see. It's not like you turn on your TV or your device or your cell phone and it's the first news story you see. You're not hearing about all of this stuff because behind the scenes politically, everybody who's in control of all of it agrees with it. So they're implementing these sorts of things. And if you track the privacy laws back to 9-11, they've changed exponentially and basically have taken away people's knowledge and rights of having a private life 
or being able to operate on some level and not have everybody's noses in your business. And that's an, that's an unfortunate side effect of the digital age nowadays. And it's just something we have to deal with because we've become so entrenched in the technology. Our lives are so wrapped around it that it would be very difficult to turn the switch off and have people operate the way they are today. Um, so chat show was very, I don't know, it was just like a revelation. I mean, you listen to him talk and I mean, I was just shocked and he was just spilling it all out and he talked about a lot of other stuff too. So he, you know, he very credible person um, coming from the ACLU. I, I would think everybody would acknowledge that as a credible source and he was a very uh, credible person to talk about it. So I really loved his, his transcript because there's so much clarity and and truth offered right up on a silver platter and once you read it you just can't deny that things are perhaps not what they seem well you know and and the curious thing about um invasion of privacy like something as simple as uh facebook um where they um they have statuses of your your um, political orientation. They um, th- they can uh, analyze the metadata of you, if, uh, so to speak. But when I th- when I think about that, the curious thing is you don't know all the places where that information goes. For example, uh, um, like on my phone, I'll, I'll get a voicemail and I can read it because it's been transcribed. And so if if I'm being listened to and everything I've, I'm saying is being transcribed as a text file and then that becomes a product for sale, what if you're a businessman and you're trying to innovate a new technology and as you you have a conversation about it, you don't know where that's going to, and if if less with if there's people without integrity out there, they can literally harvest um, ideas from the collective, and then turn around and get a jump on the game or or skew the platform. It, I guess, what I'm getting at is um, some people say, well. I'm a law-abiding citizen. Why does I mean I have nothing to hide? Why would I be worried about this? And and the the thing that caught my mind is well you have no idea where the information's going. <laughs> well, it's a designed to create that response. Well, I don't do anything wrong, so why do I care if people are going to spy on every single thing I do or look at online or do in my personal and private life? Well, I mean. I get it, but you've been spoon-fed the propaganda to even have that mentality since 9-11 because in in the case of your security and protection, we have to spy on all of you. I mean, it's been like an open door since that event happened to really let these kind of things roll out full agenda. So who's behind it? I mean, that we could have a whole show on that. And, And really... It doesn't really even matter anymore because whoever's doing it or however it's happening, it's happening. So we have to figure out a way to maintain our own spiritual centers through it and not get hooked, line and sinkered into it. Because what happens when something figures you out to the point where you're so figured out that it, it, you, the capitalization that can happen on that information alone is profound. You could have the world being run by, you know, marketers and people who really just believe that making money off of anything is okay. So who's buying the data is the real question. You know, you had Facebook go through these recent uh, trials. You haven't heard much about it since. They've taken their uh, trending news feeds off of the platform. They have implemented algorithms that make everybody's news feeds completely different. They're specialized to cater to whatever that person is or isn't wanted to be exposed to. So if everybody's news feed is different, then how can collusion across the platform even happen unless it's allowed to happen? And if it's allowed to happen, who's buying that ability? Who's paying for that? Who's implementing it? We need to start thinking of the information world as a bigger entity instead of just, oh, it's a fun little platform where I post pictures of my food and kittens. I mean, it really is something that at 
at a time when it was beginning, and I remember this, and I was doing a show through this, um, you know, social media is relatively new within the last several years to the decade. And so when people were starting to get into it, they were realizing the power of the connectivity. They were realizing the power of networking. They were realizing the, the ease of being able to connect to other people in ways that perhaps they never even thought possible before. I, I grew up needing to mail a letter with a stamp and waiting two weeks for a reply or a right. phone attached to my wall with a cord, right? So I remember a much <laughs> yep. different way of, of relating than most people have now. Now, when you deal with generations that didn't grow up with that, they were handed an iPad or a cell phone, you know, as soon as they could walk, um, you have something different. So are there two different kinds of human beings on this planet? I think so. I think you have the younger generations who really just relate to each other socially the way they're taught to online with social media. They talk out their problems through social media. They wait around for social validation through social media. They're taught to you know, rate themselves and other people according to how many people like their post or their hair or how many girls are puckering their lips into the camera every time they take a selfie. We have something happening that we really don't know what's going, what, what it's going to grow into because when these people reach elder age, what, what are they going to be teaching the younger generations coming up? And I mean, what are we even going to be dealing with? You need to be a visionary in the sense to be able to see the world down the, you know, down the road a little bit, if not a lot, and take a look at what the potentialities really are when it comes to human connection, consciousness, psychology even, um, how many people who spend all their time on social media really know how to relate face-to-face. -face. How does love integrate into all of this? Is love becoming something that's just hearts and pretty pictures on, on your posting feed, or is it about that deeper, spontaneous, synchronistic connection that you really can't develop unless you're face-to-face -face and one-on-one -on -one with people. So I have concerns as a 45-year-old woman living in this world, and I've had concerns for a long time because I ran a radio show that offered up all this information to help people integrate the awakening of consciousness in the psyche. And here we are, you know, a decade later, and people are looking around at each other saying, oh, my God, she was right. Well, of course, I was right because I was able to access different information than what most people were able to access simply by creating a radio show that talked about it. So when you turn on the nightly news at night and you watch the same exact program just about on all the different channels, you know information is being controlled. You know it's being scripted. It's a Hollywood thing. So how do we break down being entangled with the matrix? Well. We have to do the inner work. We have to do the healing work. We have to be able to know what's real and what's not real. And wouldn't you agree, Les, that that's becoming a complicated task nowadays? Well, yeah, I, and I like what, what you had mentioned before about um, maintaining that the, uh, a sense of being balanced spiritually and and to what you were just commenting on, uh, to get to know yourself at a deep level. And you know, we were talking before the show started about uh, a BS detector, where <laughs> one thing that this uh, our culture is showing us is such vast heaping piles of BS. And... and it, it's really asking us to, like you say, gr grow above it to be to be the visionary that can kind of pierce through. Um, it does, just because something's true doesn't mean it has some kind of uh, um, uh, control of the future that cannot be changed. The, I suggest the most powerful substance on the planet is human consciousness. And every single one of us is a personification of that consciousness. But if we can't harness, if we can't master the ability to steer or guide that consciousness, then our consciousness itself gets tied up in the quagmire, gets tied up in the BS. We regurgitate more of the same. And, and so 
to to look at the truth, regardless of how perhaps ugly it is, but not react in a in a in a cascading emotional anxious way to look at the truth and say that's not that that doesn't feel like what I want to happen that doesn't feel congruent with my heart with my soul i I see that it exists now in this present moment time but i'm I'm a creator i'm Every human creation has come from human consciousness. I'm a creator. I choose to focus on, on what I want to see in the future, what I want to see expand in the collective consciousness. And I think that's what you were talking about as far as uh, understanding ourselves, who we are, you know, to kind of weed through perhaps our own past and, and get a, a clear insight of what this human being is well i think that the better you know yourself and the better you love yourself the less manipulated you can be and the more manipulated you can be the easier it is for you to engage and to get triggered by all the emotional triggers out there right i mean let's face it we all live in the modern world and we all sing the mantra, we are all one, but yet we each have very distinct individual traits, life experiences, and gifts. So maybe what's needed in the moment might not be a gift you have, but it might be a gift somebody else has, or vice versa. So how do we learn how to honor each person's individual gift and let it come to the table so that it can be included in the discussion, right, or even given into the reality of it, and let people make up their own mind based on who they are. Because not everybody's going to resonate with the same thing. We, we all have a different makeup, you know. We've all kind of gone through different things. So my perspective is based on my life experience and your perspective is based on yours. We haven't had the same life experience perhaps, right? Perhaps we've had similar experiences and we can relate, but not everybody really takes that perspective when they start to talk to other people about heavy-duty things. So the triggers are bigger, I think, if you haven't gone through a healing process. And the healing process is easy. It's, it's heal your stuff, become accountable, grow through your mistakes, grow through your successes, and learn how to love yourself better and better with everything. And, uh, you know, people want to make it about religion or this, this God or this channeled entity or this person or that person. And really, we don't really need that mirror anymore. We've graduated. Most of us have graduated from that. And the ones that still need it, we can't look at that and say anything wrong with it because we all can remember a time when we needed it and we probably sought it out and had that experience. So the judgment aspect has to get, get weeded out of the context. It's like we, we have to stop looking at one another and saying, well, I don't like you for this reason or I've heard this about you or whatever it is that the entanglement creates this attachment to the matrix. It's all negative gossipy energy. And most people can't talk about it, let alone acknowledge it, uh, because mostly for themselves, right? So if there's a healer walking around and just pointing their finger at everybody else and everybody else's problem, well, that person probably isn't spending too much time reflecting on themselves and what they need to look at. And when they do, they'll see it. And hallelujah, right? Because whatever timing it happens, it's supposed to happen. And we have to stop demanding that it happens on our terms or in the way that we need it to happen for ourselves. We have become very arrogant as a species. We can't even get along with the planet. We can't even acknowledge that human consciousness is just as powerful as animal consciousness or plant consciousness or element consciousness there are things in the unseen world that are just as powerful if not more so than our consciousness 
So we have to stop acting like we're all the kings and queens of the castle and nobody else is above us, period. We've been indoctrinated to believe that through our conditioning. And most people go through indoctrination through school. You know, it, it's, it's just where you're taught all your basics that life is this, this is what matters, this is how you differentiate between this and that. We're given all the basic skills when we grow up through school because most of us aren't homeschooled and parents don't really raise kids. So we have come so far removed from the matriarchal societies, the indigenous societies that have come before us where family was important, relationship was important, um, making love was important, having strong communal ties with your elders and in respect of the youngsters and how all that tied into the land and, and growing crops and paying attention to the weather and the signs of the earth. I mean, we've become so far removed from that because of our modern day conveniences, which I just see are kind of getting worse because we just have more and more technology invading all those those things in our lives that can make everything so much easier and more convenient. But what are we really losing in place of that? So how do we balance all of this? Well, maybe we need to pay more attention to family. Maybe we need to write a book or maybe we need to paint a painting or go on a, a, a spiritual adventure or something. Maybe there's something that we need to do to spark the catalytic change that happens with us when we go through these processes. You know, whatever you want to call it, you can call it whatever you want. I don't care. It's the same thing in a million different settings or teachings or religions. And we just have to stop saying, hey, my way is right and you don't understand this. Well, who are you to tell anybody that they don't understand anything? They understand everything that they understand at that given moment, and that should be a very respected thing. So when we learn to respect ourselves, we learn to respect others, we open up the space in an honorable way, and we allow, we allow whatever's supposed to happen to happen without any fear. And so I hope that the journey that people take through this book enables them to break the crust on the things that they haven't been able to really wrap their head around too much, and it opens up some hope element through it all as well to say, well, how, hey, now you know, so now you can't not know. And when you look around the world, maybe you'll see things a little differently, and maybe then we'll really have the changes that we are all craving on a very raw, primal level. Well, I like that. And to, to expand on that, it, it's like nature, Mother Nature, just nature itself. Um, the human beings on this planet aren't isolated from the earth. Every time we draw a breath, we're interacting with nature. Every time we put food in our mouth, we're interacting with nature. And and if our idea of of the future isn't harmonious with nature, it really can't sustain itself because we're we're so organically connected to life we're so organically connected to earth to nature to to this beautiful planet that we live on and i i i love what you've been saying and and th- there is a a place of harmony there is a place of eloquence i think where and it comes from from the wisdom of your heart more than the desires of your ego and um to tune into that inner wisdom from your heart and your soul for for myself i would say it invariably moves you towards a place of of service of compassion of forgiveness and and to allow people the space to go through whatever path they need to go through to find that truth within themselves. If we don't ever allow ourselves the the um, ability to touch our our pain and to ultimately heal it, then it sits there and it and and it it um, distracts from our ability to be more whole, to be more complete, and show up in a more uh, loving and compassionate way with each other. I love this conversation, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to ignite a really powerful conversation, there's three categories that will definitely guarantee that, and that's talking about God, 
love, and politics. Not necessarily all together. <laughs> but if you want to have a really heated conversation, bring one of those topics up uh, in, in whatever format you can get a conversation going. Most people, when it comes to God, they want to believe that their God is the better God. So my God, in the name of God, I kill you kind of attitude. I'm not going to let you express yourself or express how you experience God because the way I experience God is the only way God can be experienced. How limited and arrogant is that perspective? I just, I, it just boggles my mind that we're in 2018 and we still have people having this ages-old argument. Then you talk about love, and everybody has a different experience with love. And some people are really bitter about love because they've gone so high up, and then they've just crashed down, and they've never been able to overcome the pain. So when you talk right. about love as the answer, we have to take a look at the obvious elephant in the room, which is how many people can actually experience love fully without any baggage or issues or things attached to it, how much healing have they done on the subject, how much more do they have to do, and how uh, comfortable are we as supporters of that in partnership of helping one person through that, let alone ourselves. So when we're going through it, maybe we're partnered with somebody who's already been through it, has already gone onto the other side of it, or maybe they haven't even started yet, or maybe they're in the full-bloom you know, throes of it all. So it really depends on individual dynamics. Everybody has a different relationship, and love is a relationship. Love is about relationship with yourself. Love is about relationship with other people. Love is about accepting love from other people. And and what is love? Because our society breathes a kind of superficial love that is very much infected into the general mainstream consciousness of most populations. And how do you heal that on a larger level? As an avatar, how do you heal that? When you look at this as, as energy forms and you have collective energy forms that feed off of negative energy, the same way you have collective energy forms that feed off loving energy. So which wolf do you want to feed? Do you want to feed the one that feeds fear? Plenty of things that will eat that. And, or do you want to feed the one that eats on love? Well, love is a profound emotion if you're good at creating it, but then you also have to be around people who are good at creating it too, and you have to be around people who are good at accepting it. So if you're not one of those people, chances are love is going to be very bumpy and painful for you, and you'll pull away from it in fear. We all, I'm sure all of us, everybody listening, has to some degree felt that. So our woundage really determines our ability to love. And if you see the masses, you know, the 100th monkey syndrome is a perfect example of a theory that says, well, you know, there's a tipping point when consciousness goes in one direction or the other. So if we're headed into a fear-based reality because the majority of people are in fear, well, the antidote to that is to change the majority of people into love. So how do you create love? in a fear-based paradigm because clearly our main infrastructure, the matrix, everything that we plug into has some form of fear into it. That's why it's so infected and unsustainable. So until, until we learn how to turn that around and feed love into our leadership and our leadership learns how to feed love back into the people, we're really just going to be a bunch of hamsters running around on a hamster wheel doing the same thing, repeating it time after time after time until we fall off and realize there's something else. Yeah, there's there's like octaves of of love, if you will, and and it, it's the collective consciousness is a very curious thing. There's that element of free will, and so an avatar, a sage, a mystic. Um, incarnates on the planet, and uh, here's this, you know, karmic shitstorm, and and um, I, I suggest it's that uh, ability to love, even though what you see is is uh, well, I guess another way to phrase it is to to be able to love all that is as it is and have no requirement on that love it's almost like uh if you're going to get into a, a fist fight you need a foe it's like when when gandhi was in, <laughs> yes. when gandhi was in india 
and the the British Empire shows up with an army, well, my God, if Gandhi would have fetched an army and and brought an army to an army, the the British would gladly kick its ass and then claim dominion over India. But the brilliance, I think, of Gandhi was he understood the power of peace. And peace doesn't seem like a, an aggression or a strength or a, a might to be formidable. Yet he held that space of peace, and the army showed up and swung in empty air. There was nothing to push back, if you will. And, and to be able to be in love, even though what your eyes are showing you is fear and and you know all the the variables of our human suffering to show up in love it, i think it turns into kind of a a field of of melting where um fear cannot sustain itself fear has to consume consciousness to exist it has no consciousness of its own and to to be the personification of love perhaps jesus was a good example of that um, to to be in love as it is, to love all that is, all that is, every face of humanity as it is, I think is perhaps the the, um, the, the place of of how power the power of love can be brought into our human condition through a persona like ourselves. Well, it's a, it's really something to be in love, and it's something to be of love. In love, I believe, creates a different biochemistry in the body. I've written about this in the past. When we feel any emotion, we change the biochemistry in our body. You can monitor that. That's a scientific fact. Um, when we feel in love with something or someone specifically, we're actually creating a biochemical change in our body which then creates a profound state of being in the physical to allow certain epiphanies to come through, certain aha moments, certain creative, powerful things to come through. And I I can't think of any better way to spend your day than to be in love. But as we all know, being in love sometimes wears off and the biochemistry changes again. And we go, well, how come we don't feel that way anymore? Or how come we're not getting the same getty feelings and the same creative power isn't coming through that way? Well, you have to ask yourself why you're not in love anymore. And then you have to question, you know, well, can I create that biochemical state by myself? Well, of course you can, and it's called self-love. It's called being in love with nature. It's called being in love with the things around you. When you said it's about finding love regardless of everything, it's a very difficult thing for people to do because they have these expectations of what love means and what you have to be when you're in it and how you have to do it, that some of it's cultural, some of it's from what you're raised with, and uh, it cannot be all good sometimes. it's not. Sometimes it's bad. And we have to learn how to be in relationship with love and how to not navigate pain when it comes to love and how to deal with any pain that we may have if we have had it because of it. So it's a complex subject. But what happens when you're in love, I believe, changes that physical chemical state. One of the reasons I started the Love Breathe Earth platform, uh, back in 2014, I began to organize global meditations. We did 13 over the course of two years. People from all over the world would join in. And the only context of the meditation was find a spot in nature, meditate for a little while on the things that make you feel love, whatever that is, okay, no rules. And people would do that, and they would conjure the biochemical reaction in their body, sitting out in nature. And then the whole point was to really observe what happened next. So it was a living um, hypothesis of what would happen when we combine nature with human love and meditation. And the response that people were, you know, were pouring in from people all over the world that were doing this, we'd all do it on the same day, and their reactions were profound. 
And, and the feedback, you never really expect it when you, you do something like this. You don't really know what to expect. You have no expectations, really. But when the feedback starts to pour in, proving that there is a connection between human love and nature, um, we got something big. And we have to take a look at it. And we have to start having the conversations that open up these topics and really just navigate them. And I can't think of a better way to do it than conversation, really. You know, unless you go out in a group and meditate under a tree, <laughs> you become enlightened. Yeah, that yeah. Way. We've heard some of the many great teachers and masters of our times have great initiates have done that. And why can't everybody do it? I take the opinion less that everybody is an avatar and everybody is here for a profound reason. So when I meet somebody, I'm meeting them in that state of mind. I never meet somebody with a preconceived idea of what a jerk they might be because so-and-so said this or that or, you know, how much more I know about them or whatever. Like there's, there's never any of that. It's, hi, how are you? Oh, my gosh, I'm honored to be in your presence. And if I act that way, I usually get treated that way in return. And we have a profound experience. And it's usually conversation about things that we both needed to hear at the time, and then we both go off in our own worlds and do whatever thing we're inspired to do. Why aren't we doing more of that? Why aren't we having these conversations, letting different perspectives in? And why is the conversation about Trump and how ugly his hair is and how, how dumb Hillary Clinton is? Why, why, are we, why are we even able to be distracted with this nonsense? It's because we haven't healed. It's because we haven't gone through something, and part of us likes the drama. Very well spoken. I like that. Hey, we're having a conversation right now. We're doing this thing right <laughs> That's now. That's how radio is supposed to sound, I was told. <laughs> radio is supposed to sound like you're having a conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and please, God, let us not see everything. I mean, I mean, let us be the unique individuals we are. It's it's for myself being uh, hosting this show, and perhaps you've experienced the same. You know. Every show is a stepping stone to a new perspective, a, a new understanding. It, it's it's really such a delight to immerse in conversation like this over and over and over again in such uh, diverse topics. It it can't help but change you. How how has your radio experience affected you over the years? Well, it's like who who wouldn't be changed by 13 years of weekly conversation? I, I found the greatest joy in being able to call up somebody or contact somebody and say, hey, can you come on the air and let's talk about this? And they said, yes. It was the greatest feeling in the world because I would look forward to it and I would want to be talking to them because I never, I never interviewed a guest I didn't want to talk to. So for 13 sure. years I talked to – had one-hour conversations a week with some of the most brilliant and genius people on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. And I definitely changed because of that. I, I went through my own spiritual awakening because of it, really. And what it gave me was a very unique perspective on life. How many people have navigated all these different topics? Probably not very many, so I am one of those people who have navigated all these topics, have discussed them at length, have written about them, have talked about them on the air, have conversations off the air with people about it, have talked at events about it. And so when people come to me and say, what do you do? It's like, I can't even answer that question. What do I do? I don't even know what I do. I just end up finding myself in the right spot. So radio has changed my life in a way that has made me a better listener. Uh, has taught me the power of one's voice, the words that we choose, how we use our voice. Um, for me, it was a process of blooming that voice. I started out as a very shaky voice on the air and a little intimidated, a little nervous, a little bit uncomfortable. And then over the years, it became one of my favorite platforms to participate in. I, I use social media a lot. I'm on there a lot. I share a lot of things uh, freely with people, and I write blogs and articles for different online magazines and such. But my favorite platform was always radio because I enjoyed talking to people. I actually really enjoyed the conversations. And so when I retired last year, I missed it greatly. 
And so I really enjoy the opportunity to come on as a guest to other people's shows because it gives me a taste of that radio energy back, and I really appreciate it. So how has it changed me? That's pretty much what it's done. It's, it's been a gift. It's been a massive gift, a, a large body of work over the course of a decade, and this book is kind of the magnum opus of that. Well, I like that. Um, well, tell us more about yourself. I mean, uh, you're involved in photography and the Bethlehem Art Association. Can you give us an idea of some of the other uh, venues of expression that you have? Sure. One of the things that Stopping Doing Radio has uh, produced is my love of deepening my artwork and going into my work. Over the years, as I did the Love Breathe Earth meditations, and I, I traveled all over the world to participate in these, one of the things I like to do was take photographs of the different areas I was in, The different, mostly landscape, but most of the places have been places where we've gathered or I've done meditation. They all have some significant relevance. And as I collected the photographs from my adventures over the years, I knew I would be doing something with them eventually. So when that time came, radio was done, I wasn't doing it anymore. I had a lot more time to pull it together and produce images and make a collection of images that I show and go, that go on exhibit. And I get to once again regurgitate the material in another way through the use of artwork, through the use of photography, through the use of documentation. Image is so powerful these days. It's one of the most powerful tools, just like information. Information is a powerful tool, too. And each of those things can be used in beautiful and glorious ways and also manipulative ways. So, again, we see another manifestation of that duality. Whatever you choose to do as an artist, if you're going through something, it can come out in beautiful ways, and you can create the most beautiful things from it, and people can feel that energy in the work. So when I started to show and I started to compete and I started to enter these things into all of these um, different venues, and they started to win and people were buying them and they really liked them, it was, an, it was a confirmation or an affirmation even that when we put the kind of beauty that we put into anything that we produce from it, it connects to people in ways that you just can't explain. And what could be a better expression of that than artwork? So I have moved into um, working in the art world. I'm the president of the Art Association here locally, and I work with about 100 different artists who do all different mediums, and I help them market their stuff. We do shows. We, we support each other, and it's really just a beautiful way to attest to the power of working within that. And what better way for me to do it than the way I've been doing it? And I'm just so proud of everybody that that is part of our association because they're brilliantly gifted and we can all, we all learn from each other. And it, it's kind of like, well, the kind of community that I would want to be a part of is an artistic community because we all seem to have the ability to respect each other, our own individual expressions, you know, here and there you have a little bit of stuff, right? But sure. and at the end of the day, everybody's getting along and everybody's creating beauty and everybody loves to do that. So if we support each other in the right way, we can become a very powerful expression of anything. So what better way to do that than art? Art, is, for me, is like my next spiritual journey. It's, it's exploring through myself and different realms of myself, even again or for the new first time ever, and being able to express that in a, in a manifestation that captures that and actually relays that in some form to an observer. It's physics, right? It's physics. It's like the image captures the energy and the observer brings it to life. Yeah, it's something happens when the inspiration inside of you is birthed or born. There's that inspiration, and there's a choice there. Uh, many people are inspired, but they never bring it into fruition. They never bring it all the way through to expression. And I, 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 I what you've been saying is, is very uh, a similar idea that. For me, uh, when I express, there's there's juice to it. There's, yeah, I mean, it it it's a flow, if you will, of that inner inspiration coming out in the form. And the more I 
don't question it or judge it, and I just let it be over and over and over again. It's like a deep sense of peace or something comes with it. It, I don't know, it's almost organic. Hey, you know, an hour can go by pretty fast, and I want to make sure our (laughs) listeners, (laughs) uh, we could talk for quite a while. Um, I want to make sure our listeners know how to get your book and how to engage you in any way that you choose, if you have other modalities, speaking, uh, or whatever. Can you share with our audience? Sure. Sure. I'd like to let people know I have a couple things coming up this weekend. I'll be at the 49th Annual MUFON Conference in Cherry Hill, Pen- uh, not Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Uh, I'll be down there for three days. I'll be in the vendor area. I'll be doing author signing, book signing my book, and I'll have a piece of artwork on raffles. So if you want to come in, it's free and open to the public to come into the vendor area. We're at the um, Crown Plaza Hotel. And um, I also have a trip to Egypt coming up in February 2019 with Maria Wheatley, who is the top UK expert in megalithic structures. We will be doing a group together. We're taking a group um, of 20 people to Egypt. Everybody's being called to Egypt right now. It's amazing. This will be my fifth trip, and I can't tell you how much Egypt changes me when I go. So I'm really looking for I've brought groups to there before, and we're going to be traveling in, in wonderful style and safe and we're going to be seeing some incredible things and uh, very excited about that. We still have room in that trip. So if you're interested in any of these, you can go to my website, hillaryramo.com and my book is available on Amazon, Amazon UK, Barnes and Noble, and we'll be releasing a Kindle version by the end of the week. Well, how cool. Um, Hillary, I just want to say uh, you're so authentic in that you, uh, from my perspective, you follow that impulse within you. You you engage that the, the creative elixir, if you will. You honor um, your desires, and and it's it's always such a delight to share conversations with people like you. I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. Well, thank you so much for having me and for making this opportunity available so we could have the conversation. I hope that my hope is, I'd also like to let people know that are listening, if you do read the book, my hope is that you take your favorite chapter and you go have a conversation with your favorite person to have a conversation with. And then if you'd like to reach out to me through my website, I'd love to hear feedback on how that goes for you. So I really set this book out into the world now intentionally and on purpose with the hope that it will help people navigate a different perspective to see the world that actually makes things better and more beautiful. So thank you, Les, for having me and for giving me the opportunity to be here. It's been my pleasure. We've been talking with Hillary Ramo, and the topic tonight has been the name of her book, Hillary Ramo Show Transcripts. What a fun read. I I recommend it. It's uh you know, it's it's such a curious time to be alive and uh, a calm sea doesn't make a skilled sailor. I I think that um souls choose to come into this earth plane and live out a a lifetime as an opportunity to really master the art of being a human being, to master the art of of um, living on earth and if this isn't the tempest if this isn't the, the chaos of a storm that makes a strong sailor makes a strong a wise soul this opportunity in this lifetime I suggest is like no other so um, I just say Trust your life purpose. Trust the reason you are here. There's no mistake to who you are. And uh, and enjoy the ride. Uh, heaven, heaven can be found in every moment of all of time, I believe. It, it's always a pleasure for me to share conversations like this with you. And part of my passion is to have this platform where we can bring to you, the listener, 
the kinds of episodes that bring a deeper understanding of, of the guests, the material. Um, I always get educated in the process. It's, uh, nature never has a one-way conversation. So thank you for joining us tonight. It's been my pleasure. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast to bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.